Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor David Eldridge. You've got a Bible, you can turn to Ephesians 4. So the thing we've been looking at for the past several weeks, uh, living a life worthy of the calling that we've received. Last week, Paul showed us a different way of life, one that we want to avoid, the life of the Gentiles. And he described that five different ways. He said it's characterized by vain, empty thoughts about God. It's characterized by spiritual numbness. It's characterized by a lack of boundaries, a lack of fences, a lack of self-control, by moral filth, and by greed, constantly wanting more, more, more of whatever it is. And then the metaphor he gave was uh, changing clothes. He said, if you want to move off of this path of the Gentiles and move on to this path of the life that's worthy of the calling that you've received, then you take off the old. You take off your old self and you put on your new self. Taking off the old self, that's repentance. Putting on your new self, that's the new birth or being born again. What we're going to look at today, he starts to flesh out a little bit some examples of the old and the new. Here are the old clothes that you're taking off, and here are the new clothes that you're putting on. Most of you have already made that decision. You're following Jesus. And for you, I want you to just keep in mind, we're all tempted to put back on those nasty, smelly, dirty clothes. That's what we're tempted to do. Even though we've repented of our sins, we've put our faith and our trust in Jesus, we're constantly tempted by that old self. Uh, to put those dirty clothes back on. So some specific commands today that we want to take seriously, starting in verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we're all members of one body. In your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Don't give the devil a foothold. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that, may, that they may have something to share with those in need. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So there's five things that we put off and four things that we put on. The, the fifth thing that we put on is more by implication. Five specific things to put off, four specific things to put on. We put off falsehood. We put on speaking truthfully. We put off sinning in our anger. We're not really told what to put on in place of that. Maybe we could say righteous anger, although that's pretty rare. We put off stealing, we put on working, we uh, put off destructive talk, we put on constructive talk, we put off hostility, we put on mercy. So those are, the, those are the five exchanges Paul wants us to make, the five things we're taking off, the five things that we're putting on, or at least the four things that we're putting on. And that can, honestly, that's a lot. That's a lot for one day to try to incorporate all of that in one day can be a lot. And so there's, there's a couple of dangers for us this morning. One, uh, and just be honest, if you're kind of a rule-breaking kind of person, you feel like rules are suggestions more than anything else. So the danger for you is, oh, that God will forgive us, and there's grace, and he's a God of relationship and not of rules, and it's really not that big a deal. 
So remember last week, we said that the one choice that we make that moves us in the direction of the Gentiles is to harden our hearts. Everything else flows inevitably from that. Once we make a choice to harden our hearts, then what comes after that is spiritual ignorance. What comes after that, spiritual darkness. And what comes after that is being separated from the life of God. All of those things flow from this choice to harden our hearts, to become spiritually callous, spiritually numb. We don't want to do that. We said truth, light, revelation, whatever, whatever word you want to call it, that, that it's meant to be obeyed, not just to be filed away. God tells us things because he expects us to do them. So if you know yourself and you know that for you, commands are really suggestions, you're much more of an ask forgiveness than permission kind of person, recognize the ditch for you this morning is to not take these things seriously. Well, I know it says not to speak falsehood, but... This is one of those times where it's really okay. It's okay to shade the truth a little bit. I know it says don't steal, but it's the government. They got plenty of money. Whatever it is for you, just recognize that's the danger. You're going to harden your heart. And that leads you down the road of the Gentiles. For those of us who are rule followers, and there are many of you in the room, the ditch for us is that we get so focused on the commands that we lose sight of Jesus. For some of you, this is like red meat. Oh, I can sink my teeth into this. Something I can do in a checklist that I can mark off in a, a, a sheet that I can, I can compare myself to. I can grade my performance. How am I doing in following all of these commands? You don't want to fall into the trap of the Pharisees who knew the law really, really well, but they missed Jesus when he was literally standing in front of them. They didn't, they couldn't recognize him as the son of God when he was literally in front of them. They knew the law better than anybody and they followed it better than most, but they missed Jesus. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to get so focused on commands that we miss Jesus. No matter how profound the list of commands, even the 10 commandments, it can't adequately uh, encapsulate, summarize all that it means to be a disciple of Jesus. The law is now written on our hearts not on stone, not on paper. The Holy Spirit lives within us, guiding us into the truth. So three words that you need to keep in mind. Lots of, we have five specific commands. It's a lot to keep up with. So here's three words. Follow God's example. You remember those three and you're good. Be an imitator of God. That's what that word follow God's example means literally. Be an imitator of God. Last week we saw this new self that we're putting on. It's made to be like God in the truth of righteousness and holiness. We're, we're, we're adopted into God's family. We're sons and we're daughters. Paul is saying, be imitators of God as his children. Take on the family likeness. That's what we're intended to do. Obviously, we can't become like him in many ways, but there's some ways in which we're expected to become like God. In what ways? Walking in the way of love. We've said before that Paul, he, has, he's, he hasn't been us clear with us yet. It's been pretty ambiguous. What does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we've received? What it means is to follow God's example, to walk in the way of love. And that's defined for us and described for us through the life of Jesus who loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. That's what it means to walk in the way of love. It means to to, to serve, to give myself up for the sake of others, to do what's best for somebody else, regardless of the cost to myself. That's what love is. So you remember those three words, follow God's example. And all of these specifics, putting, on, putting off or taking off and putting on, 
Those are just specific examples of what it looks like to walk in the way of love or to follow God's example. So first, I think this is low-hanging fruit for us. Don't steal. Like, you, you know that. You learn that from when you're in preschool. Don't take what's not yours. Don't shoplift. Don't rob a bank. Don't take your coworkers' lunch out of the refrigerator. Don't do those things. It's not yours. So don't take it. Somebody brings you the bill and something you ordered is not on there. That's not God's provision. That's stealing. You tell them it's not on the bill. And if they say, well, I'm not going to add it, then you can say, okay, it's God's provision. But give them a chance to take it back. You ate the food. Pay for it. If you work, you owe your employer an honest day's work. Don't dog it or you're stealing from them. If you're an employer, pay your employees for the time that they work. James 5, the, what, the, the laborers, their, their cries are heard by the Lord because why? Because the, you're, not, you're withholding wages from them. Don't do that. Don't try to make a dollar or save a dollar on the backs of your employees. You're stealing from them. So you know that. Don't take what's not yours. Don't, withhold, don't keep something that, that's somebody else's. Now, just it, it, Paul says to work so you can contribute to those. You have something to share with those in need. I do want to just overhear uh, taking and receiving are not the same thing. We don't want to be takers within the body of Christ. But at some point, we'll all be receivers. Taking, grasping what's not mine, that's not the same as receiving, accepting what somebody is giving to me. We all will be receivers at some point in our life. Life is not easy. It's difficult. And at some point, you're going to be a receiver. For some of us, we have too much pride to receive. We're sorry at asking for help, and we're even worse at accepting it. That's just pride. That's not, being, that, that's not saying, well, I, I'm, I don't want to be a thief. I want to make sure that I have something to contribute. Those are two different things. Absolutely work so you have something to share. And there's a, there's a time where all of us are going to have to receive and make sure that you're you're walking in enough humility that you can do that. Again, for most of us, I think that's, that's kind of the low-hanging fruit. You start learning that in preschool to not take what's not yours. The rest of these, and there's so much more that could be said about all of them. We can't, we can't get into all of it. We could spend a week on each one of these. Just a few thoughts that I've had in your small group. You may want to dig a little bit deeper and see how these things apply to you. I see connections between the other four a bit more than I do with this one uh, about stealing, other than that also, that, that's going to disintegrate a body. And that's what a lot of these commands are about. They're about interpersonal relationships, how we're treating one another within the body. And obviously, if we're taking what's not, what is not ours, trust isn't going to last very long. First thing Paul says Put off falsehood. Take it off and speak truthfully to one another. Again, why? Because we're all part of one body. Relationships are built on trust. Without truth, there is no trust. As deceit goes up, trust goes down and relationships are fractured. So we need to speak truthfully. Again, something you've learned since you were in elementary school, don't lie. So yes, absolutely the bald-faced, outright lies. But for most of us, we're old enough now that we've become honestly a little bit better at deceiving. Uh, we're more sophisticated in the ways that we use deceit. Not necessarily through an outright lie. Usually those are just self-protective. I'm, I'm trying to avoid the consequences of the truth. But for many of us, we've gotten really good at using words shading truth, withholding information, 
All of those things are lies in order to manipulate others, in order to either get what I want or make you see only what I want you to see, mostly about me. And so we need to be honest about that. You need to ask the Lord, is there a place where I'm still walking in falsehood? So for me personally, I choose comfort over clarity. So this is a regular area for me where I have to fight, where I'm prone to leaning towards falsehood instead of truth. I don't like emotional or relational tension. It makes me all hot and sweaty and I don't know how to deal with it. My counselor tells me that I don't have a strong enough view of the resilience of people or of relationships. So you can psychoanalyze that over lunch. But what it means for me is I think, every th I think people are fragile and I think relationships are fragile. And sometimes either because of my job or because of my role in people's life, I have to say things that they may not want to hear, but they're true. And that makes me really nervous. And so what I'll do is I'll choose my comfort over your clarity. So if 50 words need to be said, I'll share 11 of them. And hope that you can, hopefully you'll fill in the blanks. That's what I do because it makes me so uncomfortable and I'm afraid I'm going to hurt you. And, or I'll bubble wrap everything I'm going to say. There's truth in here, but there's so much fluff around it. You, maybe you can find it, maybe you can't. And again, all of that for me, that's ultimately, that's selfish. I'm choosing my emotional comfort over your clarity. And when what you need is to know, you, you need to know. It's not necessarily that it's things that are mean. It's just not things that are nice all the time. They're not nice to hear, but they're still true. And all of, all of you have been in positions like that. So that's a place for me. That's a tension for me. Falsehood versus truth. And you probably have something similar. Maybe not that exact one. Begin to ask the Lord, where am I tempted to put on the nasty, dirty, smelly, sweaty, stained, clothes of falsehood instead of wearing these bright and clean and new clothes that you've given me of truth. I think one of the things maybe that kind of goes with that, this is a bit of a tangent, but it does drive me crazy. And so I'll share my truth, your truth. Hey, doesn't that drive you crazy? All the, some of us are old, like I'm 46. I'm too young to be curmudgeonly, but I'm old enough to be stodgy. And so this is stodginess <laughs> here. Truth, by definition, is that which conforms to reality. Reality is what is. I can have opinions. You can have opinions. I can have thoughts. You can have thoughts. I can have feelings. You can have feelings. I can have perceptions and perspectives, as can you. I can have sincerely held beliefs, and so can you. That does not equate to truth. Two plus two equals Four, So it can't equal 17. One of those things corresponds to reality and one doesn't. Water is either wet or dry. God either exists or he doesn't. One of those things corresponds to truth. Jesus is either the son of God or he's not. He either was raised from the dead or he wasn't. Those are claims about reality. One of those things corresponds to reality and one doesn't. So when we read, speak truthfully, that doesn't mean that you necessarily share your truth or my truth. It doesn't mean that every thought I have, every opinion I have, every perspective I have, even every sincerely held belief that I have needs to be shared. Me not sharing those things is not the same thing as me wearing falsehood. Because there's only one truth. And that's what 
That's what we're sharing. That doesn't necessarily, again, my thoughts and feelings and all those things, they're valid and that's wonderful. But in the name of speaking truth, my truth, your truth, we're actually many committing this sin of letting unwholesome words come out of our mouth. Unwholesome is rotten. That's the word. Don't say anything rotten. We do that all the time. Rather, say things that are helpful in building others up. That's a construction word. That's, that's finishing a project. So do your words help people become who God has designed them to be? Do my words help people become who God desires them to be? Do my words actually help other people? 100% part of speech is self-revelation. It's revealing who I am. You're not in here. And so if you're going to get to know me, I got to share. What, that is a perfectly legitimate use of words. I think with social media, one of the things that's happened is we've gotten used to the megaphone bullhorn of just getting to project. This is all that's going on in here. And we've forgotten. Do my words actually help the person who's watching this, seeing this, listening to this? Or is it just about my own self-expression? Do the images that I post and the words that I post, the things that I say, do they actually help people become who God's desired and designed them to be? Or is it just rotten? Does it just undermine that? If that was our, 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 our metric for what we pushed out through social media or even through our conversations, is this actually going to help the person? Is this going to help make them more like Jesus? We'd probably talk a whole lot less, wouldn't we? And we certainly would post a whole lot less. What does it mean for us? Again, we want to put off falsehood. We want to speak truthfully. But that doesn't necessarily mean sharing everything that pops into our heart and our mind. That's not, I'm not interested in you being true to yourself in that sense. And I don't think any of the rest of us are either. What we're interested in, don't speak unwholesomely. And a lot of what pops into our minds is not great for other people. And in the name of truth, some of us tear other people down. Let's look for opportunities to build each other up. Does this actually help you become who God wants you to be? One of the things that makes that tricky is a lot of us walk around angry all the time. In your anger, don't sin. What is anger? A strong feeling of displeasure, of annoyance, of hostility. And you may say, well, if that's what anger is, is it possible to be angry and not sin? Yes, it's just rare. James says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. So if he says, be slow to become angry, that makes me think, well, we can be angry and not sin. When I think about what, how, how can we do that? The reason for our anger needs to be righteous the result of our anger needs to be righteous. Otherwise, we're going to sin in our anger. Maybe the best example, Jesus cleansing the temple. The Bible doesn't say he was angry, but I think he was. He certainly wasn't smiling when he did it. You remember, why did he do that? Rides into Jerusalem, last week of his life, Passover week, massive festival in Jerusalem. There's one spot on the planet where Gentiles can worship God. It's called the court of the Gentiles. It's outside the temple. That's it. That's as close as they can get. And Jesus comes to the temple in the court of the Gentiles. It looks like a farmer's market. 
You got people buying and selling animals so that they can sac- so the people can sacrifice them. You've got folks changing money out of foreign currency into local currency so they can pay the temple tax. The one place where Gentiles can worship feels like the square on Saturday morning. And Jesus is mad. He turns over the table. He drives out the money changers. Why does he do that? In order to create space for the Gentiles to worship. His reason is righteous. It's not about him. It's about the, the, the God's intention for the temple. It's about these people who are gathering together to worship. There's six other markets around the temple. There's plenty of places to buy a lamb. They doesn't have to be here. But this is the only place these guys can worship. So he's angry. When I think about the things that make us angry, rarely is it that others focused. Think about all the things that didn't make Jesus angry. He didn't get angry when Peter denied him. He didn't get angry when Judas betrayed him. He didn't get angry when he was arrested. He didn't get angry when he was falsely accused of treason. He didn't get angry when he was spit on, when he was mocked, when he was beaten, or when he was killed. Those are the things that make us angry. We get angry when we get offended, when we get hurt, when things don't go our way. Very difficult for us to not sin in our anger when the things that make us angry are about us getting our own way or having our feelings hurt. The reason has to be righteous and the result. In Matthew, after Jesus cleanses the temple, it says blind and lame people came to him to be healed and kids started worshiping him. When was the last time your anger led to the worship of Jesus for somebody else? Uh Uh-uh. Our anger leads to people crying, people slamming doors, relationships being broken, people being scared. Those are the kinds of things that our anger leads to. Certainly not healing and worship. It doesn't mean that we have to sin in our anger. But it means, honestly, it means we probably will. That's just, that's where we, that's where many of us live. We, most of us haven't matured to the place where we can feel displeasure and hostility and annoyance in a strong way and yet not sin over here. So what do we do with our anger? I would say use it as a warning light, like on the dashboard of your car. What is it indicating about what's going on in your heart? When you say, she just makes me so angry. You're placing the blame on her. That's not the deal. The reason you're so angry is because something in your own heart. It's either a sin that you need to repent of. It's a wound that you need healed. Or it's a grief that you need to mourn. Almost always the things that are picking at us that make us angry fall into one of those three categories. So when you're getting angry, if you're able to step back and say, God, why? What's going on in my heart? that this situation or this person is making me so angry. One of the places I see it with men in particular, once they start having kids, and I think it might be because at that point, we all realize, here's this, I can't control them. They're two or they're three, and they're not doing what I want them to do. And our response is we get angry. We're not, we can't have our way with them. We can't make it happen. And so we start blowing up at babies. It's, it's, it's us, it's not them. It's us. If you find yourself in that place, step back. God, what's going on in my heart that this three-year-old not doing what I say makes me completely lose my mind? 
What's going on? Ask him. We got to get back to the scripture here. In your anger, don't sin. There are times where we, I think we do, have, we do have righteous anger. I think it's rare. Paul gives us some things to kind of help us with all, with the, un, you're going to feel it. It's an emotion. The, the idea of saying, I'm never going to be angry again, that's probably unrealistic. So what do you do when you feel that strong feeling of hostility, of annoyance, of uh, displeasure? Paul says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't be a literalist. That doesn't mean in June you get to be angry till 9 o'clock. In December you can only be angry till 6. That's not it. He's saying don't nurse it. Don't treasure it. Don't harbor it. Don't feed it. Why? Because then you're giving the, door, the devil a foothold. You're opening the door and saying, come on in. And he's going to wreak all kinds of havoc. I think that, that list of six expressions, faces of hostility in verse 31, I think most of those things we can tie back to nursing anger. You know, so there's a couple of words for anger in the New Testament. One is, it's kind of this white, hot, um, gut-level response. It's, it's, it's rage, it's passionate, and then there's this other word. It's cold, and it's sullen, and it's calculated. And if we, when we feel that rage, if we don't, I think, step aside and say, God, what is this revealing about my heart? If we choose to nurture it, to harbor it, to allow the sun to go down on it, we've given the devil a foothold and all kinds of havoc is wreaked. That's when that anger turns from hot to cold, which is actually more dangerous to our hearts. We become sullen and calculating. Bitterness, that literally means sour-hearted. And that's what happens to our heart when we hold on to anger. We become that, everything that person does rubs us the wrong way. Every, the tone of their voice grates on us. And over time, and we move into brawling, don't think about a fist fight. That's arguing, slander, talking badly about other people. And then even for some, malice, actively wishing ill for somebody else. That's what happens when you allow the sun to go down on your anger. You're giving the devil a foothold. You're opening the door. and He's going to wreak all kinds of havoc. Paul's painting a picture for us. And he's saying, here's how I want you to act towards one another. I want you to speak truthfully. I want you to, to use words that build others up, others up, that help them become who God has desired for them to be. I want you to work. I don't want you to take things that don't belong to you, that undermines trust in the body. I don't want you in your anger to sin. I don't want you to allow these hostilities to set up root in your heart. But I think he's also saying, but recognize you're going to get hurt. You're going to get offended. You're in relationship with people. They're going to take you off. They're going to sin against you. When they do, choose mercy. Be kind and compassionate. Kindness, that's to do something good and useful for somebody else. Be compassionate. Be tenderhearted. Every time Jesus was moved with compassion, he did something. He fed, he healed, he taught. It was never just a feeling of pity, God bless your heart. It always moved him to acts of kindness. So be kind and compassionate, particularly when someone's wounded you or hurt you. Forgive, just as in Christ God forgave you. Don't hold others in judgment. That's part of one of the reasons it's difficult for us to release anger is because we want people to pay for what they've done. We get so mad when we feel like people are getting away with fill in the blank. 
We ought to release that. God, vengeance is yours. Romans 12, I think. That's yours, not mine. I release them to your judgment. I'm not going to hold them in mine. In doing that, you're walking in the way of love. You're imitating your father. You're choosing to be like Jesus. Let's take a minute and pray. We're running out of time. This is what I want you to do. That's a lot of stuff. Chad and Alder, I'm going to come back, lead us in some worship. We'll have ministry teams here up in the front. We'll pray with you about anything that you have going on. You may come in with a need, and we want to make sure that we honor that and give you space to pray. Uh, you may want to come and kneel or stand here at the altar, and if you do, we'll leave you alone. This is what I want you to begin to ask the Lord. Part of the Holy Spirit's job is to convict us of sin and guilt and righteousness, so just begin to ask him. Holy Spirit, where am I, where am I right now in danger of veering from the way of love? Really practical. I don't want you thinking kind of abstractly. Really practical. Where am I in danger right now of veering off of the path of love? Where am I not imitating the Father? And there's a billion ways. He's not going to tell you a billion. He's going to tell you one. Where am I not imitating the Father? He may bring a relationship up to you. A relationship may come to mind. It may be a circumstance. I want you to think particularly for those of you who struggle with your temper. And you may look back and say, I come by, by it honest. My dad was angry. My granddad was angry. My great-great-granddad was angry. Do you want your son to be angry? Do you want your grandson to be angry? If you don't, then stop it. You can stop it. You can be the last one. It's hard to admit that there are things that make you lose control and you get ashamed after you do. I want to encourage you, bring it to the light this morning. Let us pray with you. Nobody's going to judge you and nobody's going to go telling on you. Just say, this is, this is hard for me. I lose it when fill in the blank happens. And let's pray that God would break that cycle of anger in your heart and in your life. That God would highlight for you what it is in your heart that's being triggered. Is it a sin that needs to be repented of? Is it a wound that needs to be healed? Is it a grief that needs to be mourned? What is it? And the other big one, what do we do with our words? James 3, it's a great chapter. One play, I think it's verse 10. He says, with the same mouth, we praise God and curse those who are made in his image. It shouldn't be that way. If you struggle with your words, whether it's, whether it's shading the truth, manipulating others, whether it's honestly just talking bad about people behind their back, 
Let today be the day that you repent. Make a choice to not let any rottenness come out of your mouth. No more falsehood. But to speak truthfully. And to say things that are helpful to others. So Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? Would you help us in these really even mundane matters of obedience? In these daily matters of faithfulness, would you make us more like the Father? Would you give every one of us grace to walk in the way of love? In Jesus' name, amen. You guys respond however you feel led, and uh, Chad and Autumn will dismiss us in a couple of minutes. You guys can speak. Thank you for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. 